TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is on a mission to get everyone to start eating one plant-based meal each day. She is the host of One Part Podcast and she's also a wellness advocate with a special interest in endometriosis and women's health issues. I'm excited to get her on the show today to pick her brain about how she healed endometriosis by changing her diet. I love her non-judgmental style and I know you will too. So please welcome to the show the lovely Jessica Manan. Woo! Hello. Hi. <laughs> I think it's funny that we're cheering about endometriosis, but I do want to cheer yeah, about it. Yeah, endo, yeah. Woo. <laughs> we love you, endo. <laughs> you know, I do. I, I actually, this past year, I really came to terms with my endo. And it, it's funny, the, the day that my book came out, I actually thought, thank you for this disease. And I, and I'm not even being sarcastic because if I didn't have this disease, I never would have gotten to write a book or change my career or do any of the thing or talk to you right now. So there are some days that I am thankful for it. If that sounds weird, maybe, but there are some days I'm thankful for it. I think that's a lot of people in the health and wellness sphere, you know, that they get to a point. I know I've gotten to that point as well, where you just sit up and go, what would my life have been like if I hadn't had this illness or hadn't had this problem in the first place? Like how beige would my life have been? Right. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely not beige. I was going to make a gross color reference, but I'll pass on that. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me what, what was your life like before all of this and, and tell me about your experience with with endometriosis. How did it all happen for you? Sure. I, you know, and, and I'm not sure how familiar your audience is with endometriosis. And it's something that I always like to just, just give the symptoms just straight out, just because I think that they're, you know, one in 10 women suffer from endo, but it takes an, it takes an average of 10 years to be diagnosed with it, which is just crazy because a lot of women with endometriosis, their symptoms are misdiagnosed as IBS or appendicitis or a sexually transmitted disease. So just just very briefly, endometriosis is when the, the, the type of lining tissue that's on your uterus grows outside of your uterus, which can be extremely painful during your period and not just during your period, but all, all types of the month. And other symptoms include painful sex, uh, painful urine, urination. It hurts to uh, poop. Uh, diarrhea. You can't hold your urine. Blood clots. And then there's a lot of times that and painful cramps. It's just sort of across the board. Most people have that. And a lot of times there's other autoimmune issues that come with that and food sensitivities. So, I mean, I think that I was struggling with endometriosis since the first time I had my period, but I didn't know what it was until I was 28 years old when one of my cysts ruptured. And I mean, I had been to, I mean, probably 10 doctors in that time period from when I was 
I got my period when I was around, I was sixth grade. So what is that like 14 or 14? And I went to doctor after doctor every time and told them how painful my period was. But I also had a mom that had extremely painful periods. So it was just kind of like, well, that's just how it is when you're on your period. You know, you have to come home from school. You have to be in bed for two days. And now I know that is absolutely not normal. And it, it you know, it, it's why it's so important to me to, to, to share what the symptoms are and talk to as many women as this is possible because it's not normal for you not to function on your periods. And it's not normal for you to have painful diarrhea on your periods. Like you should be able to work and function and be your best self even on your period. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, I had, uh, when I was finally diagnosed at 28 years old, I thought that that was pretty exciting to be diagnosed. And what happened was, is that it actually, I think it got worse because they put me on painkillers and different birth controls and I became severely depressed and the pain actually just sort of progressively got worse. And it just got to a point after a couple of surgeries where I had my doctor suggested I get a hysterectomy. I got a second opinion and they suggested I also get a hysterectomy. But then And, you know, I also want to say I agreed to get it because I thought I just want this to be over. Like, I never want to have a period again. I don't want I just don't want this for my life. And now I know through my research, a hysterectomy doesn't necessarily take away endometriosis pain. But I also didn't know that. But before I got the hysterectomy, I was going to get it in the winter. And this is six years ago in that summer, a friend sent me information about how a plant-based diet could help endometriosis. And I thought it was just like completely insane. I thought she was just (laughs) being like, she kind of had like hippie tendencies. And I'm like, oh gosh, like this is another one of your like hippie things that you're doing. But I also thought, okay, a friend is sending this to me. I should at least, you know, try something that she took time to do for me. And so I said I would try it for two weeks and I tried it and my pain slowly started to fade away. And then I tried it for another week and then I just kept doing it. And then ultimately I didn't have to get the hysterectomy. And now I I live 80%, I would say, symptom-free from my endometriosis. So it's not healed. There is no cure. But I'm sitting up in a chair right now talking to you and not <laughs> curled in a ball on the floor, which is like huge improvements. Yeah, because there are there's people who with endo who have it only flare up sort of the days around their period. And then there's other people who have it all month long and it, it comes and goes and it flares up at different times of the month, but it's always there. And it sounds like you're one of those people who it, it could pop up at any time during the month, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, I just, and you know, it, it was definitely a fatigue issue too. I had a lot of fatigue from it. And, and also I want to say if you are dealing with a chronic illness, really, I mean, I, I mentioned the depression part, but depression can really set in because you know that every single day you're going to wake up and not feel your best. And you also know that every single month you're going to be knocked out for a few days And that's just, I mean, you get to a point where like, why am I living if this is going to be my life? 
and I became very, very, very depressed. And, and, you know, I have stage four endometriosis, but just because you have stage four doesn't mean that you have all the symptoms and you can have stage one and have all of the symptoms. So every single body really differs with endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some people that have more like a congestion style of endo where there's lots of clotting and, mm-hmm. um, and then there's people who have like a more, uh, inflammatory kind of endo where there's just a lot of pain, but there, there, there's lots of different shades of this disease. I think that's one of the problems in getting diagnosis in the first place is that no two cases of endo look the same. Is it pretty common over there where you live that, that women can go for that long without getting a diagnosis? Why do you think it, it's not getting picked up earlier? I mean, 10 years, like it, it take, literally takes an average of 10 years to be diagnosed. And I think that, I mean, I think there's a few reasons. Unfortunately, the only way to truly diagnosis, to diagnose it is by having surgery and outpatient surgery. So they go through your belly button, they look inside and they're able to see it that way. So that's really the only way you're able to diagnose it right now. So I think that there's a lot of people, doctors that don't want to jump to the the surgery conclusion and, and they might not want to investigate. But then I also think it's just, there's a lot of doctors that just are not educating their patients. So for me, I just thought that having diarrhea during my period or missing school or bleeding through pads was just how it was. So if I would have gone to a gynecologist and I would have seen a sheet of paper in the office that said, these are endometriosis symptoms. And then I would have been able to like, oh my God, that's exactly what I have. <laughs> tick, tick, so, tick, tick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, you have, you have a ton of literature about STDs, about breast cancer, about, you know, self-care as a woman, but no one is talking about endometriosis. Unless it's, you know, someone like us talking about on our podcast or the endometriosis foundations, but doctors, I feel, I mean, there are some doctors, but this should be information that is readily available. And this is information that should be told to every young girl the first time she goes to the gynecologist. Like these are the symptoms, like heads up. Yeah, I totally agree. The the thing that does my head in, you know, is that by the time it gets picked up then you're 10 years down the track and you're stage four if they picked it up eight or nine years earlier at what point would they have caught it then and and would it have been easier to treat at that point yeah I mean I think that's the thing and and lucky for me I have never wanted to physically give birth I always knew that adoption is what I wanted to do even before I knew I had endo but That's a huge issue for women that want to have children because the more and more of this endo is in you and it's in your insides, you know, your infertility definitely rises. So for a lot of women, they're not diagnosed for 10 years and then all of a sudden they can't have kids. If they would have been able to be diagnosed sooner and been able to take the necessary steps to treat it, there would have been a greater chance that you could have had kids. And I mean, just bottom line, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, bottom line is, is that we miss a lot of school, we miss a lot of activities, we miss a lot of work 
due to this illness. So, you know, infertility aside, which is a huge part, you're missing a lot of your life too. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I, I know what it's like where you sit there with a calendar and you map out which days you're going to be out of action. And someone yes. says, oh, you know, would you like to go and do this thing on that weekend and we're going to go horse riding or surfing or something? And you're like, mm, okay, let me just count the days. No, it's a big chance that I might be sick that day. Like that's no way to live. No, it's not. And it's just, I just, you know, and it's, it's really hard sometimes for me. Well, no, <clears throat> not sometimes. It's hard every day for me to be on the other side of this and to see how many women are suffering. And, and I do my best to not get caught in a, a funnel of a downward spiral of looking on a message board of all of these women that are suffering and, you know, are like, well, my doctor said to take this drug. I'm on these painkillers. I've tried five birth controls and not one of their doctors are talking about nutrition or holistic wellness practices. And again, it's not a cure, like a hundred percent, not a cure, but what if that could help them 10 or 20 or 30%? And so I think that you know, people like you that are raising more awareness. I mean, we just need to start educating people that drugs are not necessarily the answer all the times. And maybe it is part of the answer for some people, but there's a lot of things that we can do naturally to help us. Yeah. And that's, that's actually why I like getting people like you on the show, because we were just chatting before I hit record that, you know, I eat meat and you're a plant-based person. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for for people from two different sort of, uh, you know, headspaces to get together and talk mm. about health. But I love that and that's why I love doing this podcast is I actually actively seek out people who have different views to myself who've done things in a different way and get them on the show because what what I do is not necessarily, you know, for myself what I've done that's worked is not necessarily going to help the next person. And then someone who, you know, rocks up who's done a beautiful plant-based diet or a detox or has gone completely raw vegan or whatever it is and they've got results there it's like you you need sometimes people need to go and look at all the different things that are available and find that the one that's going to work for them because I do believe there's there's something out there for everyone you just have to keep searching until you find the answer oh my gosh for sure I mean I I have no judgment when it comes to how people eat because I just want them to find a way to eat that makes them feel good. Yeah. Oh, that that's that's going on Instagram, that quote, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love it. So how did you get started? Talk me through so this this friend of yours, this this friend who I, I assume you you've owed a very I dedicated hug I, to. <laughs> yeah, well I dedicated the book to her and yeah. she didn't she didn't know it. And it, when, uh, when I knew that I had my publisher send her an advanced copy and she called and she was like, it's so weird. I got my book early from Amazon. I'm like, that was not from Amazon. Aww. My publisher sent that to you. And she was just like, you dedicated the book to me. It's like, yeah, yeah man, you changed my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, it's just one of those, it's one of those gifts that turns up from the universe, isn't it? When, when something yes. like that comes along. Yeah. So, so she rocked up. She said, Hey, why don't you just eat plants? And you went, okay, I'm desperate. I'll give it a go. 
what mm-hmm. happened then? Did you ease into this life or did you just throw uh, yourself all in? Well, I was very mad about it. It was not a, a, a good time in my household. I was, I cried a lot. I got very angry when I saw anyone eating cheese or a hamburger or because I, that's what I wanted to eat. And I did not deal well with changing my diet at all. It was very, very rough for me. And it, yeah, it was a bad time (laughs) because it's not, I did not want to eat healthy. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that like not eating cheese or meat is not healthy, but I didn't want to change my diet. I didn't want to start drinking smoothies. I didn't want to take out all the things that I liked. I didn't, I also didn't know how to cook at this time either. So not only did I have to start eating plant-based food, which just seemed ludicrous to me, (laughs) but I also had to figure out how to cook them too. So I couldn't just have, you know, my takeout stuff that I normally got, or I couldn't have the frozen meals that I normally had. So I felt so lost at first. And it just got to a point though, where I thought, okay, this is actually working and I'm not in pain anymore. I'm actually functioning. I don't have to get a hysterectomy. So you just need to like buck up and make this work for you. So that's when I really started to decide to teach myself how to cook and not only teach me myself how to cook, but teach myself how to cook the things that I used to be able to eat in a way that I could eat them now. So I think that that's why, not to brag, that's why I love my book is because <laughs> the my book is the type of book that I was looking for at that time. Because I think that, you know, now I definitely am more into, you know, some some matcha powder and, you know, some, some more of the exotic things that at the time I wasn't into, but before just even purchasing brown rice noodles or even purchasing a thing of greens was like crazy to me. So the book is definitely, and my philosophy of one part plant, having one part plant, one plant-based meal a day is really for people that are trying to ease into it and easing into it in foods that they already recognize. So, you know, I'm not going to have you make a spirulina sandwich. I'm going to let you, you know, experiment with having lasagna, you know, but lasagna in a way that's not going to give you a stomach ache. So, yeah. So to answer your question, I got started in a rough, rough way that just gave me a huge wake up call that I had to make this type of diet work for me. Yeah. So you weren't. You weren't a good cook starting out. How did you get the confidence in the kitchen? How did you start to experiment with different things? Well, I just had to practice a lot. I mean, I think it's like anything that you do. You know, I always I always think there's, what is that, like the six-week window to a new job? I mean, I think most people feel completely uncomfortable at a new job for the first six weeks. It's like, I don't understand their software. I don't, where's the bathroom? Who are these people? (laughs) And then after like six weeks, you start to feel a little bit more at ease. And so it definitely took me six weeks and a little bit longer to learn how to cook. But, but what I started to do is I realized, okay, 
how do I like to cook? Everything needs to be easy. I don't want to dehydrate something for 20 hours. I don't want to spend a million dollars at the grocery store. So I started to to be okay with that and just know, okay, so I have a lot of peers and I have a lot of friends in the food space that really enjoy making complex recipes. That's not for me. I don't enjoy making elaborate recipes. So I accepted that and started cooking very simply with whole ingredients. And I started to like to cook that way. I just, I think when I didn't like cooking before, I think I was trying to be something I wasn't too. And I just like simple food that's a little bit kind of Midwest and not that fancy. And that's okay. So talk to me about some of the recipes in the book. What's what's in there? What What can we look forward to trying out? Well, I'm telling you, the lasagna is definitely, and I don't know if lasagna is that big where you are. Oh, oh but, yes, yes, it is. Okay, yes, okay. Is. <laughs> okay, because the lasagna is definitely one of the most popular recipes in my book that I've seen people post about and seen people sharing. And I think the reason why is, like I said, that it, it's something that people recognize. So I think one of the hardest parts about changing your diet is the social aspect of it and still feeling like you can enjoy food with your friends and family. And so let's say you're going to a potluck and you're not going to want to bring your new healthy, you know, whatever people are going to be excited. Sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this very lean sandwich. But people are going to be pumped if you bring a, a crock of lasagna. Like that sounds exciting. And you don't even need to tell them that it's plant-based. You just bring delicious food. And so I think the lasagna, <clears throat> excuse me, is super popular. Um, my chocolate chip cookies are really popular. It's one of the first things that I made that felt like, wow, this tastes like chocolate chip cookies, like real, like I actually like these chocolate chip cookies more than my old chocolate chip cookies. I have a lot of soups in there that are pretty creamy and yummy. There's a a roasted uh, potato and corn chowder in there that's really popular. So everything is, is pretty hearty and simple and doesn't make you feel like you're eating plant-based food or what you would think of as plant-based food. Yeah, I love it. Oh, my God. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning here and you're already making me hungry. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love that that social aspect of just bringing sort of familiar foods and then letting people just try it. I I did that with a raw cheesecake uh, that I took Mm, to a birthday party. Yeah, and it was it was a birthday party of like really normal eating people, shall we say? What what's the word? You know, like conventional Australian eating people. And yeah, like, yeah. They're like, oh, you know, would you like to come to this party? And I said, yeah. Can I bring the cake because that desserts quite often where it falls down for me, and um, because you know usually there's nothing there that I would personally eat. And so I was like, I'll bring the cake. And then I was fielding questions for the rest of the day, like, what do you mean there's no cheese? in that cheese right. what do you use what do you use and I was like cashews no yeah. how how <laughs> it's awesome yeah all you have to do is bring amazing food and then just go here you go have some and the kids were getting into it that was the thing that excited me the most is that the kids were just diving for it and it was like you know how you said your kid wouldn't eat gluten-free well they're doing it they're doing it right, right. now. right yeah. yes 
Yeah. And it's uh, the, the thing about the kid thing that I think is interesting. And again, I hold no judgment if you're one of these moms, because I think the old me might have been this way. But when people say things like, well, my kid only likes McDonald's or he only likes this. And it's like, your kid is three. He doesn't have money or even a wallet. So when you're saying that's the only thing that he likes, like you're buying them that stuff. And so I think it's, it's a tricky thing because I do think like my son really likes this, these, this one thing that I make and he eats it pretty much every single night for dinner. But I think that it is our responsibility as parents to sort of say, to, to stop ourselves when I say, okay, well, my kid only likes junk food. It's like, yeah, but you're purchasing the junk food. Yeah, right. It's a, that's a really good angle, actually, because if, if you don't purchase it, they can't go and get it. They're three. They, they, they don't drive. They can't pay yeah, and it's and Yeah, and tantrums suck. I mean, right. I get that. When you're, not, when you're not buying the thing that your kid wants, like, that stinks. But it's, I don't know, I think it's worth you know, five minutes of them throwing a tantrum than continuing to feed their addiction to sugar or whatever the bad food that they like is. Because, I mean, listen, I'm the same way. I mean, I used to be the same way. I mean, I ate candy every single day because I wanted candy. And if someone would have said, you can't have candy today, I probably would have thrown a temper tantrum too. But I think that as parents, we just, we have to, you know, try to control that and make something like a cheesecake. Like if, if they really want a sweet, try to make a sweet that fulfills their sweet tooth, but in a way that is a little bit more healthful for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Really, really, really good advice, especially for the moms out there. Now you mentioned sugar. Now, I mean, sugar's technically vegan, but you've eliminated the cane sugar anyway. So Talk to me about these inflammatory foods. What are they? What makes them inflammatory? Yeah, and I do want to mention that I don't consider myself vegan because I do eat honey. And if any vegan is listening to this, just know I am not saying I'm vegan. Yeah. <laughs> because, <yes. laughs> um, um, and I do want to mention with sugar, I do believe that sugar is sugar. I mean, even when I eat uh, too much maple syrup or too much honey, I get a stomach ache. So I think that, you know, just, just to be mindful with all sugar because sugar is sugar, but I still eat maple syrup and honey a lot. But, um, but in terms of inflammatory foods, especially with endometriosis or arthritis or other issues where inflammation is an issue, if you kind of think about that your joints or let's say your, your stomach or your uterus or whatever is already inflamed, when you eat inflammatory foods, you're only adding fuel to the fire. So those inflammatory foods that affect most people, I'm not going to generalize everyone, but those are uh, a lot of processed gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, and meat for some people. Me personally, I get very inflamed when I eat red meat. Um, and poultry, a lot of like processed uh, deli meats and things like that. So all of those for a lot of people are in inflammatories. But then there's also inflammatories that are technically healthy foods like potatoes and eggplant and tomatoes, the nightshade family of vegetables that can also cause inflammation for people. So, you know, I think that we 
that's why it's so important to not just look at food as this, is it good? Is it bad? Is it evil? Like this list is good and this list is bad. Every single body is different. So I think that you really have to start experimenting and see what makes you feel best. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Because if there was one thing that definitely worked for everyone, we'd all be doing it exactly the same. And that's not right. Yeah. Like brown rice makes me feel so bloated and inflamed. And that was not something that I even recognized or knew until I read a book about how brown rice can make some people feel inflamed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought that was a healthy food. Like I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But for me personally, it doesn't make me feel good. And I want to say, I want to say one other thing about that in terms of finding the foods that trigger your inflammation is that it's kind of tricky to, not, not kind of, it is tricky to figure out your triggers if you're eating them all together. So if you are having a sandwich that has meat, cheese, some eggs, and some bread, you're going to have zero chance of figuring out which one of those foods is making you feel bad. So I think it's good if you're trying to get to the bottom of things to eat things alone and sort of do an elimination of some things for a week and then add some other things in just to kind of test your body. Yeah, that's perfect. That's what I do with people as well. It's like you have to clear that slate first and then you can add something back in because most people are not just intolerant or, or sensitive to one food. It's usually a range of foods and a range of, of levels of sensitivity to those foods. So yeah, you have to clear that slate first and then add something back in when you're feeling well because that's that's only then are you going to really know what it does for you. Yes, for sure. There, I was just reading this book. It's called The Plant Paradox. And it's it's about, you know, how some healthy foods, whatever, are, are not as good for us. And he calls people, I think that you're probably one of these two. I'm one, canaries that are, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, uh, in, in coal mines, they used to send canaries into the coal mines. And if the canaries stopped chirping, they knew that they needed to get out of there because they were so sensitive to, you know, the the gases that were being released and they would die. And so he calls people that have hypersensitivities to food canaries. And I'm definitely one of those people. It's like eat brown rice, you look like you're three months pregnant. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't just eat it by itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting how uh, the brown rice is a really good example of a food that most people would find healthy that just doesn't work for you. And, and look at soy in the 1990s. Like, oh, my God, like everyone was eating soy like it was going out of fashion and thinking that they were doing something really healthy for themselves. And now we find that that down the track we have a lot more knowledge about that and that soy is not good for some people. Right. It's a, it's a huge inflammatory for some. Yeah, especially, so with, it's, with uh, endo, especially with endo. Yes. So, and it's... And and I don't want this to sound so doomsday because it's, I think for someone that is starting out that has, you know, they're like, well, how am I supposed to test all these foods? I mean, I, I think it sounds a little bit daunting, but I, I think that a really good starting point, and, and I, I want to see if you agree, is I think starting with maybe a few days of a plant-based diet, just eating whole plant-based foods I think it's a good way to at least start that process because 
by eliminating a lot of the process stuff, you even if it's not a completely clean slate, it's at least a cleaner state. Yeah, that's that's a great starting point. Like getting rid of the processed foods is, I think, priority number one. And then I, then I usually move people on to the gluten and the dairy and the sugar. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's yeah. the next port of call for me uh, because I think that that's where a lot of the problems lie for my clients at least and they're, they're the triggers for – they're the most common triggers I feel. Oh, man, and I hung on to sugar for dear life until I just was like, it's time to give it up, friend. Like you, you gotta get rid of this thing. But I, I held on to sugar for a very long time after I had had gotten rid of the other things from my diet. And you know what we say in naturopathy: the thing that you crave the most, the thing that you say you can't give up, the thing that you kick and scream about when when we try and take it away. That's the one that's doing you the most damage. Oh, wow. I've never heard that. I like that. Yeah. Wow. I do it a lot with with, um, my mums who've got kids. I say, you know, if you put, you know, a a glass of milk and a slice of bread and something sugary on a table, what's the thing they're going to reach for first? What's the thing that they would never want you to take off them? And and if the mum says, the, I had mom, a mum in here just a few days ago who said, it's the milk. They'll reach for the milk every time. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but that's the first thing that has to go. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That's that's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic. It's like this awful trick that the universe is playing on us. <laughs> it, it actually makes my job easy sometimes because I literally sometimes sit here and say, what's the thing you crave the most that you don't want me to take off you? And then they say, if they say sugar, I'm like, I'm really sorry, but that's where we're starting. It's awful. (laughs) But it works. It works because for some reason our bodies just like our brains, it's like an addiction and we crave it. No, I mean, yeah, I get that. And I think that, you know, and I don't know how you feel about this. If you're more of a cold turkey, like just quit it all kind of person. But I know when I was changing my diet, I would allow myself to have, okay, you can have mm, dairy this week. And then we can have it once this week. And then it turned into being, oh, wow, I don't really want it today. And then it was like, well, you could have it every other week. And then it just became this thing that I didn't want anymore. And because I just realized like this doesn't make me feel good and it became not worth having it once a week. So I don't know. I think some people are cold turkey people where they can just shut it down. But I think there's other people that sort of need to do a long goodbye. And I don't think that that's bad all the time. Yeah, it's funny that the way that I would treat myself in in that space is quite different to how I would treat my clients. I would probably be more (laughs) of a cold turkey person, but I'm usually kinder to my clients and I ease them off it gradually if that's what, you know, if that's what needs to be done. But I also say to them, if you do have that, that gluten or that dairy or whatever it is, you know, once a week or once a fortnight, or if you go to a party and you accidentally eat some, that's fine. But what I want you to do for me is sit down and write for the next 24 hours how you feel. If you get a headache, yes. you write it down. If you get snotty, I want you to write it down. If you end up with diarrhea, write it down. I want to see it. I want you to lock it into your brain. What happens when you eat that thing? Yeah, because then when you have that registered in your brain, then you're like, oh, wait, I don't want diarrhea tonight. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Or like, oh, wait, I don't want to be tired tomorrow. 
And then it's just so much easier to make choices. And I always think about Dr. Hyman. I don't know if he's, if he's popular there, but he's a popular, okay. He always says that food is information. And a lot of times when I want to eat something, I think, okay, what's, what information is this giving to my body right now? And if the information is not a pleasant message, I generally will skip it. Yeah. I love that. Food is information. I'm writing that down. That's, that's awesome because then it becomes a powerful thing. You're in charge. Yeah. And it's not just food as this food is going to make me skinny or fat. It's, you know, reminding yourself that it's more than just that, you know, it's talking to your genes, you know, not your blue genes. It's talking to the genes inside of you on, you know, turning on and off good and bad things that are happening inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that, that turns these genes on and off is stress. And I know, mm. I know you changed your lifestyle and your mindset a little bit as well when you went through this recovery process with the endo. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, for sure. And and that's something I always like to point out is that food was definitely step one for me. And I need the other components to, to also work together. But when I was laying in bed with my endo or I was, you know, curled up on in a ball on the floor, if someone told me like, well, you know, exercise can really help too. It's like I would just give them the middle finger because it's like, I can't even get up (laughs) off the floor. Like, how are you expecting me to exercise? Like, are you kidding me? So I think that it has definitely been a chain reaction or a domino effect, whatever you want to call it, that when I started eating better and when I was able to get up and have more energy, then I was able to exercise. And then by exercising, you know, I had more time to be with my friends and be with my family. And, you know, I also think making a change to your diet that is a very radical change also opens your mind to other radical changes. Like, for instance, if someone would have told me to meditate before, I would have absolutely rolled my eyes and said, no way, I don't meditate. But now I do a type of form of meditation. I enjoy kundalini yoga. But I will also say that, you know, doing these things, eating right and working out and meditating, they're a decision that I make every single day. It's still not something that comes, you know, the eating comes more naturally, but making, sometimes I have to make myself sit down and stop. And a lot of times I have to make myself go do a yoga class or work out they're not things that I automatically am like, "Mm, this is easy. I love this. So it's to me, it's just, it's part of my self care and it's part of my job to be honest. Like I I kind of treat it like a part-time job and the reward is obviously that I feel good. But I think that sometimes that we see people on Instagram or social media or on websites where it's like, they're like, "Mm," like, did another set or like worked out like, you know, some hashtags and stuff. It's like not everybody like wants to, I don't know. It's not easy for everybody to do that. And I don't think, I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got a rule now on Instagram. If someone's taking a photo of their abs, unfollow, you're off my feed. (laughs) (laughs) That's my rule. (laughs) Can't deal with it. Yeah. And you know what? And they might absolutely enjoy it. 
And that's cool. But it shouldn't make you feel like there's something wrong with you because you don't want to spend two hours at the gym. Like that's just that's not. So so I think that, you know, I have changed, like you said, like stress wise, I still have to manage my stress every single day because stress is an endo like instigator. It just it makes your endo so much worse if you're stressed. And so I definitely put on my calendar when I am going to work out and I make myself do it because I know if I don't, things will be bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like taking my medicine basically, you know? Well, it is. I mean, this is, it's the, the food, the exercise, the meditation, this is your medicine. It really is. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's important to recognize, you know, that you don't have to make all of those changes at once either. It was definitely a gradual process for me. I started with the food, then I went to working out, and then I went to meditation. And when I say I meditate, I'm not meditating every single day. Like it doesn't happen every single day. But when I do do it, I'm like, wait a second, why aren't you doing this every single day? This (laughs) works. I have that with so, yoga. I'm like, why didn't I go more often? This is amazing. I love this. And then you, you know, the next time you need to go and do it, it's like there's this part of your brain that's just trying to talk you out of it, and you have to override yeah. that brain. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, and I think with meditation, I I really encourage people to explore different ones that work for you. I can't do mindful meditation. I don't want to say I can't. Mindful meditation is not necessarily for me. I really love doing Kundalini, which is more of an active meditation to me. It's it's technically a type of yoga, but there is a lot of meditation involved. And it's the first thing that has ever resonated with me. It looks completely bizarre and weird and a little culty, but it <laughs> it really works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have it we have a few people who do Kundalini yoga here in, in Byron because, you know, Byron Bay is kind of the home of all those sorts of things. And, um, and yeah, it does look a bit culty, but I've done it and it's amazing, but it's just, it's, you feel weird doing it. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like, and it's, and it's just, it's one of those things where I look back and my foremost, my former self would just be like being like, what are you doing? (laughs) But it, it just, I don't know. There's something about it that has completely resonated with me and I don't wear white like you're supposed to, I just wear my normal clothes. So I think if anyone is listening to this and and wants to explore something new, there's a million uh, Kundalini videos on YouTube and things like that, that, that you can try out if you don't want to go to a class. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I encourage anyone listening, if you want to check it out, check it out because there's something out there for everyone and, and Kundalini is, yeah, it's, it's out there, but it's, it's actually really fun. And you have this, you get this amazing feeling at the end. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's the weirdest things that we're really resistant to sort of like what you said with the food, like taking away the thing that you need, need to take away the most or you're addicted to. Sometimes the freakiest things are the things that we need the most, you know? (laughs) Oh, I love that one. I love that one too. That's awesome. Oh, awesome. Now, Jessica, you also have a rockin' podcast. Can you just let everyone know where they can find you, please? Sure. I have a podcast called One Part Podcast. It's it's I really interview all types of people. It's not really just focused on health, but 
the overall focus is just people that are are passionate about what they're doing. And I always like for people to walk away with at least one little learning lesson or tool. I mean, I know I do. So you can find that on iTunes or on my website, jessicamernan.com. Excellent. Now, most of the people listening to this show, not all, but most are in Australia. And we've worked out that um, they can buy your book at booktopia.com.au. You'll find it in bookstores as well, I think, right now, one part plant. But I'm sitting here looking at booktopia.com.au and it's definitely on there. Um, so excited about this new book. It's yeah. Thank you. And, and we'll guarantee anyone who buys it, there's no spirulina sandwiches, right? <laughs> none. None. <laughs> I don't even know. If, I'm sure there's some person that's eaten one of those before, but it sounds terribly dry to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen one on a menu in Byron Bay once. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and telling oh my us gosh, your story. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I learned I learned a lot from you too. I, I love that. Yay! <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, hon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that insightful interview with Jessica Manan. It was definitely a lot of fun to record and there were so many cool takeaways in there. However, if this episode and that chat about chronic illness and depression has brought up any stuff for you, don't suffer alone. Contact beyondblue.org.au or give Lifeline a call on 13 11 14. If you do need help navigating endometriosis, I'm also available for one-on-one consultations, both in person in Bangalore, New South Wales, or via phone or Skype. Also, if you're ready to go gluten, dairy, and sugar-free, check out my free whole food dessert recipe ebook. It's available to download right now over at julesgalloway.com. Have a beautiful week. Please look after yourself. Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.